makes everything well. We need the reign of the Holy Ghost. We need the Spirit of God every day so that we might have life. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to go with me to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. While you're going there, I'd like to say, it's good to have a friend of mine in service with you tonight. Glad to see you. Chronicles chapter 7. Very familiar few verses to many. And I'd have to say they're usually pretty exciting. We usually read them. And I feel something going on the inside every time we do. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. How much did it fill it? Well, it says, And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord. Because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. The key to revival, the key to everybody bowing down and worshiping the one true God is when they see how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord filled the house that changed everything. I want to preach to you one more time tonight, and this time I mean it one more time, on the blueprint of the church. Would you lift your hands one more time and worship God with me? Lord, we love you, Jesus. You have been so very good to us tonight. All throughout this day, Lord, you've shown your glory in our life. We just pray that you let your spirit stay alive. Lord, let it stay until your work is done to the uttermost. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. Man, this, this, this series comes to an end tonight, unless God tells me otherwise, but he told me otherwise yet. So this series comes to an end tonight. We've been talking about the, the blueprint of the church, the things that are essential to the church. And by the way, just in case you didn't know, you and I are the church. Yeah. That regardless of where we're standing and sitting, we are the church. But, but even though we know that it's not just about a building, we we still got to have these things in our church. We've got to have these things in our lives because of God's pattern has never changed. When the tabernacle and the temple were made in the Old Testament, they were made according to the pattern that God had given to Moses. And the church today is made according to the pattern of the Lord. Because of that pattern was a pattern of things that are in the heavens. Things that are far up above us. But it was the manner in which God wanted man 
him. Once man sinned, once man, once man had that separation put into his life, he needed a way back to God. He needed a way to be able to get into his presence and have a relationship with him again. And so the church is what God created to do just that. And so we we see from looking at the, the, the pieces and the parts of the Old Testament tabernacle, we see that church must have a sacrifice and an altar. It must have a place of sacrifice. It must have an altar. You, you just don't have church without an altar. And I'm not just talking about the steps at the front of the building. But all throughout Scripture, men that followed God built altars. They had a place of sacrifice and a place of relationship in their life. And the church has also got to have a, a place of cleansing. It's got to have a place where we we come clean before God. And, and we also, from that process, understand that it is up to us to do the work of God's altar. That when souls come seeking after Him, it's up to those that He's already saved to lead them to that same salvation that they've got. And having that salvation leads us inside the temple. It leads us inside that, that church building, per se. And inside of there, you find different things, but you find a candlestick, which which represents the, the illuminating power of the Holy Ghost. It is the Spirit of God that shines light on everything. There's just things that your eyes get open to when you get filled with the Spirit of God. You never saw before. You didn't have that understanding before. And as a church, we must be led by the Spirit. We may have a program, and we may have order, and we may have things that we do every time we gather together, but we must always yield to the leading of the Spirit. Amen. Man, a Spirit-filled church is, a church is not a Spirit-filled church. It's not one I want to go to. I need the Holy Ghost inside of me. We also have in that building the table, the table of bread before the Lord, and then it represents uh, the unity of the church. We got to be on the same table. We got to be on the same page. We got to have the same purpose and desire. And it also represents the Word of God that is fed to us each and every time we gather together. We need the Word of God. And then, lastly, in that in that room inside of that building, there is a, an altar of incense, which represents our prayer. It represents our worship. That whenever we offer it to God, it ascends up to Him. And his presence comes down. And all around the house of God, all around the church, there's every day, every morning, every night, there's, there's got to be praise and there's got to be thankfulness that comes from the not just the hearts, but from the mouths Amen. of his people. Last but not least, there must be a desire for the glory of God. That's what the house is all about. That, that, that's what this whole thing is about. Ever since men knew there was a God, they wanted to see Him in all of His glory. Ever since men knew anything about God, they wanted to know more about God. We must have a burning desire inside of us for the glory of God. And that is what we see unfold in those few verses that I just read to you. That when the house of God was finished, when everything was put in order, when everything was in the place that it was supposed to be, and everybody's hearts and minds were in the place they were supposed to be, the glory of God filled 
when we get everything in order, when we rearrange our lives to fit the pattern of God, the glory of God shows up. And God begins to move in body ways. So we see in just, just a few verses later, that same chapter, verse 12, the story's not over yet. The Lord speaks and says, The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place, the same house that we're talking about, to myself for a house of sacrifice. And then he goes on to answer a question that Solomon had asked of him. He says, If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And he says, Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Aren't you glad to know tonight that when we lift up our voices, when we lift up our heads in prayer unto the Most High God, that He has already promised my ears are already turned in your direction. My eyes are already looking down to where you're at. And when you call on me, I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer. So we see that the fire of God and the prayers of His people, it yields something. It causes something to happen. It causes mercy to be given out. It causes healing to go forth. And it causes a harvest to be brought in. It's all out there in black and white, church. If the glory of God can fill the house and His people can begin to reach out unto Him and push into His presence, there can be mercy to save the lost souls of men. There can be healing to heal every disease and every infirmity. And the land can be filled with a harvest of souls. That's what I want in the church that I go to. That's what I want to be a part of. I, my life is too short to be a part of a church that doesn't have the glory of God. There are too many other things that are going to happen in this world someday to waste my time being a part of a church that's lacking in the spirit of God. I want to be where the glory is. I want to be where His presence is. When I pray, I want to know that He hears. When I call on Him, I want to know that He sees me. And I, I want to see these things. I want to see our land healed. I know America's in a mess, but I want to see a revival. I want to see souls saved. I want to see diseases cured. I want to see the dead raised. And all those things can happen for the glory of God. Meets the prayers of his people. Yeah. Oh, my God, what must it have been like to be there that day? To see it. Well, I understand we're a New Testament church, and, and we can get excited all night long about the fact that the Spirit of God dwells inside of us, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I pay a lot of money for the Lord to let me see it. 
sure would love to, to know what that looks like. I sure would be, I, I wish I could turn on the television and, and see it in living color. I'd love to see what it must have looked like. The glory of God to descend upon that house. In just one moment, that building became the most glorious thing in the face of the earth. In the face of the earth. But know this, in just a little while, we didn't stand for a while, not make a lot of the time it stood. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 25, lest we forget, we read about the glory of that house. 2 Kings 25 verse 8 says, And in the fifth month, the seventh day of the month, it's the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon unto Jerusalem, and he burnt the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, and every great man's house burnt he with fire, and all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem well. The most glorious spectacle on planet Earth. Rubble. Burned to the ground. By, of all things, the nation of Babylon itself. The house of God. The house where he said, I'm going to put my name there, and I'm always going to be listening to the prayers that come from this place. Now, if you study the Bible every once in a while, you know that they, they built it back. The day came when, when their, their fortunes turned, not really their fortunes, but by the will of God, he began to send it back from Babylon to, to start building the walls of the city again. And, and start rebuilding the rest of the things that were there, and specifically to rebuild the house of God. But here's something interesting. Prophet Haggai chapter 2. This is where we find ourselves when, when the people have started to come back. These are the times of Ezra and Nehemiah that you read about later in the Old Testament. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 says, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? The question is, how many of you are still living that were here when Solomon's house was finished? How many of you are still alive that were there on that day when the glory of God filled the house. And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it? Too loud, I'm not 
gone home before and we thought, oh, it's just something's missing. It's just not the way it used to be. Have you ever sit around crying over the good old days? I know you're quiet because you're scared, but there's old folks in here. It's all old folks ever talking about some good old days. There's another passage in the book of Ezra. We won't turn there for the sake of time, but, but there's another passage where it describes this, this moment where when, when the temple was, was present and the temple was being built, to, that there was one part of the people that were praising the Lord. They were they were excited. They were they were glad for the fact that the house of God is going back up. But, but at the same time, there was another part of the people that were weeping. They were weeping because they were priests and, and they were others that had seen Solomon's temple. That had been there. That, had, that could have answered this question from Haggai. That yes, I was there and I saw the house in its former glory. And the one we've got now looks like nothing. So what is our response supposed to be? When we look around sometimes and we wonder why. Why does it seem like something's missing? Why does it seem like something's different? Well, if we keep on reading there, verse 4 says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Joseph, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. I, I, I have to be transparent with you. There's times I've gone home before too, and I thought, hey, something's missing, something's lacking, something's not the way that it's supposed to be. But I've come to ask you a question tonight. Is God still alive? Do you still have the Holy Ghost? Is His Spirit still living inside of you? Because if it is, then what are you worried about? What is it that concerns you? What is it that makes us not Things up the way they ought to be because my God still sits on the throne and his spirit still lives inside of me. So he says to you and I, just keep on working. Don't worry about what lies ahead. I know what I'm doing. Verse 6 says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while. And I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I'll shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver's mine. The gold's mine, saith the Lord of hosts. And look at this. The glory of the latter house. Anything you've ever seen, anything you've ever heard, anything you've ever thought about. 
saying that God is pleased with us having a bad church. It's not God's will for us to lose our passion. We were hitting on Revelation here a little while ago, and he said, I got a problem with you if you leave your first love. It's, it's not all right for us to, to have that church and, and for us to lose the fire of God in our own life. But what I am saying is that God knows exactly what he's doing. God is still in control. He said all the gold is mine. All the silver is mine. And I ain't preaching about money. He said, everything that's down there belongs to me. And I'm going to pour out glory on the latter house. Greater than what you saw before. There's a reason there are times that we sing the same songs. Sit in the same pews and we come to church at the same time. We leave at the same time. And yet everything doesn't seem the same. Because in many of those times, there is something that's missing. See, the scripture tells us in, in more than one way, in more than one place, that the fullness of God's plan couldn't come to pass until the church was born. He gave them the pattern of the Old Testament. They learned an awful lot of things things that we still dig up and, and we still shout and praise God over the wondrous things that's in His Word. But it wasn't until the church, that thing that you and I are a part of, that the fullness of God's plan would come to pass. Even the patriarchs of old, the Bible says there was some better thing prepared that they could not be complete without us. Without the church of the living God. So what was the prophet talking about? And since the prophet wrote it down, we know that it's, it's the Lord. What was the Lord talking about? We're already, they were already staring down the house that hailed in the comparison of the first one. We get ourselves into the New Testament, the book of Acts chapter 7. What I'm going to read to you is, is something that comes from the Old Testament. But there's a man named Stephen that has decided today he's going to preach about it. Acts chapter 7 and verse 47. I'm kind of jumping in the middle of his sermon to save you some time. But he says, but Solomon built him a house. There's no greater point of reference for a group of Jews that had gathered to hear him that day than to start talking about Solomon's temple. Even today, Jews around the world long for the day when they can put back the temple of God where it belongs in Jerusalem. And so Stephen says that Solomon built him a house. He says something that they already knew, but somehow at times forgot. Howbeit, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. 
these things. God said, I don't sit in a building. What could you possibly make for me, seeing that he already said, all the gold is mine, and all the silver is mine, and everything that's down there in the earth, I made it all. So what kind of house could you make me? You see, it was never about the house. It was never about the building. The building was just a placeholder. The building was just pointing towards that, that greater thing that they couldn't be made perfect without. The building was just pointing ahead in time to the day in which you and I are living. They didn't see it that way. Verse 54 says... When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. He began to lay the blame upon all the things that were wrong with their country upon their shoulders. And when they heard it, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. It was never about the house. It was about the God of the house. It was never about the building. It was about a relationship with an almighty God that could never fit inside a building. In all likelihood, Stephen was a good Hebrew man, and he had spent his entire life walking down the road to go to the temple to worship God. And yet, in all of that, he never got any higher than God's footstool. Every sacrifice, every song of praise, every word of worship, everything that he ever did to give praise and honor and glory to God and to get his relationship with God right, he never got to be higher than God's footstool until, until he met Jesus. And as he stood there in the last fleeting moments of his life, he looked up and he said, I see the heavens open. He spent a lifetime staring at a house down here on earth. But he said, now I see the heavens open and I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God.
the ghost. The Spirit left him. The Spirit of God left the body of that man. That, that body laid there lifeless. The earthly tabernacle was now dormant. The Spirit was no longer in that body. That wasn't the end of the story. Because something else had to happen immediately. The next verse says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, the rocks ripped, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept and rose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto men. Do you realize what happened when, when that veil was torn in two? And, and just so that nobody would ever get the crazy idea that a man had gone and done it, it said it was torn from the top to the bottom. There was no Goliath. There was no man tall enough to reach to the top and carry it The hand of God. But do you realize what happened to the temple in that very moment? In that moment, the temple became useless. Remember, the only reason we're doing all these things is because we want what? We want the glory. The only reason that, that there was sacrifice and, and there was cleansing and there was the bread on the table and the light that shined and the incense that was offered up is so that when that priest went in behind that veil, the glory of God would come down and God would commune with his people. That was the only purpose that was there. To get to God. And when that veil was torn from the top to the bottom, it rendered the building nothing more than a building. From that point forward, it would not matter how many lambs they killed and how many of them they burned on an altar. It was never going to take away another sin. It wouldn't matter how many, how, how many, how many pints and gallons and, and, and pounds of incense they burned on that altar. God's glory was not coming down in that room again. The temple was useless because God's glory was no longer going to just come down to that one little place. Why would anybody go to a church? Why would anybody go through the motions of, 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 of being the church? Why would anybody go through the exercise of being a Christian in this world if they could not get to God? When we Just a few weeks ago, we talked about it. With Moses out there in the wilderness, he had the protection of God. He had the provision of God. He had victory over every enemy. He had everything that could, that could be had in this world down here handed to him by God. And yet Moses said, I'm sorry, God, that's not enough. I appreciate the fact that you're going to go and conquer our enemies and rain manna down from heaven and take care of us. We're not going over there if you don't go with us. But at the same time, he said, God, I still want to see the glory. 
church because it's not a church if God's not in it. In that moment, God left the building. Here's the question for tonight. Why? Why leave the house? Why tear the veil? We, we, we know Jesus was the sacrifice. His, his blood had been shed. He was the lamb slain for the foundation of the world. He paid the price for our sins. Once and for all. He walked through every, every, every stopping point, every milepost in that temple. He did it all. So why is tearing the veil necessary? Why not just let anybody come in there, waltz right in, experience the glory of God? Why do this? Why render the house? Mark chapter 16. Fleeting moments before the Lord would ascend into the heavens out of their sight. And they would see him no more. It's 15. And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not. You see what the Lord said? He had already foretold. He had already given them the answer as to why he just done what he did. He said in another place, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead again on the third day. This is why I did it, gentlemen. He said I did it so that you would go into all the world and preach the gospel. It does not say go down the street and invite somebody to church. Well, I just said on somebody's toes. It does not say, go tell someone at school your pastor will give them a call and he'll show up and give them a Bible study. He says, you, every one of you, take me to them. He already told them time and time again, if you don't believe in who I am, you're going to be lost. If you don't confess that I am God, you're going to be lost. And if he's telling them, if they're ever going to know who I am, you've got to get up from where you're at. And you've got to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I know that is inside of me. I know that you can feel it when you pray. And you can feel it when you read his word. But he is calling his church today to go out and introduce a lost and dying world to who he is. Because if you don't, they're going to be lost. Verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with their tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink and eat everything, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall 
recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And then, the church went back to the temple and sewed up the veil. Well, that's not in yours. And then the church said, well, that one's messed up. Let's just build another one right beside it. Because remember, God said that the glory of the latter is going to be greater than the former. And that one's no good anymore. So let's just go build another one. There's nothing wrong with having a church building. There's nothing wrong with having a meeting place. But too many churches have gotten sidetracked by the things that one day the scripture says are going to melt with fervent heat. The only thing that matters are those things that are eternal. And the only thing in this earth that is eternal is the soul of man. So the scripture says, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. We wonder sometimes why they're not signs anymore. We wonder why they're not healing and miracles anymore. We wonder why is God not showing up and showing out. Sometimes it's because we're sitting on the pew waiting on God to come back behind the veil. And he said, if you'll go out there and you'll begin to preach baptism in my name, if you'll go out there and preach repentance and remission of sins, I'll show up and I'll heal the sick and I'll go cast out the pill. And I hope you like it out. We cannot become trapped behind the curtain that God tore in half. Is this what the church looks like today? Or does our church sometimes look like all the others? But sometimes it's hard. You know, if you're going to try to talk to somebody in the company in the church, and the only thing you've got in your arsenal is the same stuff everybody else got. Our music's great. We can sing while nobody's business. We've got some real comfortable pews that ain't us here. We've got uncomfortable pews. But we can buy them. We've got comfortable pews, and we've got great media. And the air conditioning churns in the wintertime, in the summertime, and the heater churns in the wintertime. Maybe we're in a convenient spot. Maybe we're in a high traffic location. There's nothing wrong with those things. I want the God to give us all that stuff. But if you don't, it's all right. If you don't, it'll be all right. I'd rather never have a new church building again if we're going to build one and God not be in it. I'd rather never have a packed pew. I'd rather never have a pew at all. I'd rather never have any more money in the church. I'd rather never have anything else we think we've got to have and not have God. If God wants to give us those things, so be it. He said they all belong to Him anyway. That'll be all right with you. That'll be all right with me. But whether He does or not, I want God in the house. And when God gets in the church, it does not allow the church to stay behind the curtain. But the glory of God will provoke you. It will push you. It will drive you to tell somebody else about who He is. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm almost done. 
having slain the enemy nearby. That's not all they did. It says that came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that He not only shed his blood, he not only paid the price, he not only tore down the veil, but he also came to where you were and he preached peace to you. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are building together for a habitation of God through God is in all of his fullness in the church when the church is doing his work when the church is preaching the gospel when the church is going to the ditch where the lame is at and speaking healing in the name of Jesus. When they're going to the poor and the destitute to tell them that although they might not have anything in this world, they've got a heavenly Father that has everything that is promised to them. If you want to see the power and the glory of God in the church, you've got to be a witness. You've got to be a soul winner. You gotta go out and preach to the lost. These altars are open. You're not ready to be God. You don't have to leave that way. You can come down to this altar. Somebody will pray with you. Somebody will help pray you through to the Holy Ghost. If you've lost your passion, if you've lost your burden, if complacency settled down into your heart, come down to this altar as fast as you can and say, God, you've got to melt it. God, you've got to break it up. Lord, you've got to light a fire in my soul. I will win somebody's soul Would you call? Would you seek the Lord? Would you reach out to God tonight? Oh, God, give us a word for the lost. Give us a word for the lost.